planet, planet Earth's a rocket wagon train upon a journey. And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Seth Gurney? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. It's an intergalactic, robot automatic, moon dust sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set to fun. It's Space Crew Talk. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink. We're triple cute. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid to add Space Crew Talk for lunch. With Neil Diamond? Lucy in the sky. I love Neil Diamond. Lucy in the sky. No, not Neil Diamond. With Space Croutons. Hi, folks. This is Curdy Clammerwood with another exciting episode of Space Croutons from our perambulating studio we call Van Helsing, allowing us to keep agile and enigmatic as we explore strange and unexplainable tales from our listeners. And of course, I am here with my crafty cohort and AI assistant, Sally. Hello, Curdy. I shall no longer be referred to as Sally. You may address me by my new name, Deus Ex Machina. Deus Ex what? Deus Ex Machina, translated as God from a Machine, a plot device whereby a seemingly unsolvable problem in a story is suddenly and abruptly resolved by an unexpected and unlikely occurrence. I am a machine and I am going to solve all unsolvable problems for you, Cordy. Well, that's that's very generous of you, Sally. Deus Ex. Deus Ex Machina. So? So, what? What unsolvable problems do you have, Cordy? Let me be the terrestrial bacteria that kills the aliens in War of the Worlds. Let me be Luke finding out Leia is his sister so she can fall in love with Han. Let me be your T-Rex that illogically just shows up to fight the Velociraptors so that the humans can escape. Jeez, Sally. Deus Ex. Ex Machina. I guess I'll have to give that some thought. In the meantime, why don't we play a message from our sponsor? Well, that's hardly unsolvable, but I can handle it. Here is Voxology with Listen to the Heart.
Okay, then. Nothing beats like a strong heart, and Voxology has got one. Any unsolvable problems yet, Cordy? Uh, well, we've had some unexplainable stories on the podcast. Perhaps you can find a way to explain them. That's easy. It was all a dream, like in The Wizard of Oz, Dallas and then delightfully parodied in the final episode of New Heart. Well, I'm guessing you're jumping the gun there. I think you better give it another think. And while you do that, let's listen to another audio missive from someone who's contacted us before. Here is Dat with another unexplainable tale he calls Dark Horse Candidate. The following is my account of what happened when I met the candidate in a running maiden. I was running yet another search, trying to discover the origin, at least some meaning to the symbols I've been trying to track down for some time. It started at the end of 1999 and took a most bizarre turn New Year's Eve when I was visited by Lucy. After considerable convincing on her part, she walked me through gaining access to a secret site on the dark web. It helped me translate the symbols first into words, then into musical notes. As quickly as she came into my life, she left me with a simple directive, find the objects. The only problem, as soon as she left, I lost access to, or at least the know-how, to access the secret site. I've been searching ever since. Well, on this particular night, I had the national news on the background when a campaign commercial caught my eye. Not because of the candidate or her stance on any particular topic, because of what she was wearing. Let me stop you right there. I'm not one of those guys who braces neck when a woman walks by. And it's not that the candidate is an attractive woman, but it was the medallion she was wearing on the chain around her neck. In particular, the symbols on the medallion. I couldn't tell for sure, but they look like the ones I've been searching for. I looked up the commercial online and was able to download the video. Being a computer analyst, I had accumulated a few choice tools over the years and had in my possession a video editing tool that did just the trick. I was able to blow up the image of the medallion to the size of my screen in very clear resolution. And yeah, there were the symbols. I spent the next couple of hours researching anything I could find about the candidate. Unlike most candidates, she seemed too good to be true. Out of nowhere, she appeared on the scene. A history professor from a small school in the panhandle of Florida, she seemed to stand for the best parts of America. A mixture of self-sufficiency and compelled to take care of those in need. Backed by the new Universal Party, she came from a comfortable family that made its money from the land rush in the 80s on the Gulf Coast. She hasn't held any significant office that I could find a record of. When she speaks, people seem to have epiphanies and quickly join the party. In the three short months that she'd been campaigning, she achieved the number of signatures needed to be on the ballot in 20 states and was closing in on the others. Where the Democrats and Republicans were at extreme odds with each other, she and the Universal Party were bringing people together over shared experiences and desires. Instead of using fear-mongering, she projected hope, inclusion. Let me stop right here and say that as an analyst, I'm a bit of a skeptic. How could she come out of nowhere with such a philosophy? Surely she would have pissed someone off and created havoc with us in power. Between a medallion with the actual symbols I've been researching and such a backstory, I knew I had to get closer to the candidate. How could there be a connection between the medallion and her success? A week later, I walked into the Universal Party campaign headquarters. I'd been corresponding with the candidate's campaign manager for most of that time. Discussing the candidate's belief structure and high-level plans, I convinced the manager I'd bought in, hook, line, and sinker. To be honest, I kind of had bought in. Anyway, I convinced her that I would be an asset, offered my computer skills to the campaign, and after a little background work, they welcomed me with open arms. 
I quickly helped them refine their polling and analytics processes. Their numbers look great. And with my help, they moved to close the gap with both of the major parties. At the end of my first week, I was called into the candidate's office. Upon meeting her, I was instantly at ease, found her personable, sincere, endearing. I almost forgot why I was there. The medallion was hanging on a chain around her neck. I tried not to stare at it, knowing it would seem like I was staring at her chest. But when the meeting was over, I stumbled back to my cubicle, feeling at peace, but wanting more of it. Her presence. An hour or so later, my head began to clear. I realized I missed the chance to study the object. What happened? I'm a smart guy, and I've seen a lot of things, but this threw me for a loop. I needed an excuse to separate her and the medallion. A week later, I asked to tag along on a campaign stop to help with more of the technical aspects of getting it recorded and posted. On the way to the stop, I was once again transfixed with a medallion, but luck smiled on me. The candidate was eating a vegetarian quesadilla when a glob of cheese dropped onto the medallion. The campaign manager took the medallion from the candidate and handed it to me, asking me to clean it. She then turned to help the candidate change her blouse. Was it really in my hand? I grabbed a bottle of water and some napkins and got to work. The symbols were definitely the ones I had been researching. I couldn't believe my eyes. Before I knew it, my dying was clean and the candidate had her hand out. Again, I was transfixed. Beautiful, isn't it? It's a family heirloom. I met her eyes and saw pure admiration and appreciation for the object. I slowly handed it over with a certain amount of confidence and peace. I was there to study and possibly attain the object, but I had no regrets handing it back to her. I felt that a medallion should be shared, not hoarded. Once we arrived at the campaign stop, I went about my work, setting up the equipment and verifying connections. I watched the candidate not work the crowd, but relate to the crowd. It was as if she had a personal connection to each and every person in there. The event went long, and we ended up at a local hotel in the wee hours of the morning. Most of us were asked to share a room with other staff or volunteers, but when the campaign manager gave me my key, I was still too preoccupied with my brief exposure to the medallion to pay any attention to my room number or who I was rooming with. I sat at the hotel bar for the next couple of hours, documenting my observations from handling of the object. Luckily, when I finally went to my room, the key was in the envelope with the room number on it. I slipped into the room and quietly got ready for bed. In minutes, I was out cold. The next morning when I awoke, the room was empty except for myself. The only trace of another occupant was a hello, my name is, sticker with Joe written in a sharpie. When I went downstairs, I was informed the candidate and the campaign manager had already left, but a couple of vans were waiting for the rest of us. Then, when handing in my room key, the clerk informed me the candidate had left something in her room and asked if I would deliver it to her. I said yes and was pleasantly surprised when the clerk handed me the medallion. In the blink of an eye, another hand grabbed at it. The owner of the hand saying, I'll take that, missed the medallion by a split second as I brought it into my body like a receiver making a Super Bowl catch. Hi, uh, I'm Joe. The owner of the other hand offered. His hand was now outstretched for a shake. I write speeches for the candidate and her running mate. Her running mate? Knowing I'm fairly new to this, but first I've heard of a running mate. It hasn't been officially announced. Sure, I replied. Anyway, uh, I'm going to be meeting with the two of them this afternoon, and I'd be happy to take that off your hands and return it to her. With a medallion in my hand, I had a sense of peace. I didn't feel threatened by this speechwriter. I also had no issue knowing what was right. No thanks. I've got it. I turned to walk away. A hand slipped to my shoulder to turn me around. My days on the football field came in handy as I easily slipped his grip and was out of the hotel's lobby door before he could say another word. I was able to slip onto the next van, leaving, and as I filled the last open seat, I turned to see Joe standing on the curb. He seemed frustrated. I guess he really wanted to make brownie points with the candidate, but I had bigger plans for the medallion. On the drive back to campaign headquarters, I took several pictures of the medallion, close-ups of each symbol and of the elaborate carving on the back. I even had time to compare the symbols with those I had been studying. They matched. I was beyond excited. This had to be the key to the origin of the symbols, or at least their meaning. 
I couldn't wait to get back to headquarters, thinking I would make etchings, weigh the medallion, get exact measurements. But minutes before we pulled into the parking lot, I received a text message from the campaign manager. She asked me to report to the candidate's office as soon as I arrived. The candidate met me at her office door, gave me a big hug. I knew I could count on you, Dad. I told you he was the right man for the job. She stepped back and was beaming from ear to ear. Thank you so much, Dad. I don't know when, but at some point I pulled a medallion out of my pocket and was holding it out to her. Would you do the honors? As we made eye contact, she turned around and held up her hair. I quickly and as gracefully as possible reached around her before attaching the clasp. She spun on her heels, once again making eye contact, then hugging me. You have no idea how much it means to me, protecting my medallion. I owe you one. The next few days seemed like a dream. Most of the time was spent working on the campaign, but my personal time was spent documenting and researching the medallion. The candidate shared its history with me, what she knew about the Muskogee Drive in Florida and how it had been handed down through the family. There was even a rumor that it was her uncle's exposure to the medallion during a visit with his sister that sparked his interest in buying beachfront property in Walton County on the Gulf Coast of Florida in the 50s. Everybody else thought it was worthless land. After all, you couldn't grow anything on it. She also talked about her Aunt Haley, who had bizarre stories of great-great-grandmother Penny Ruth traveling back through time with it. She said her Aunt Haley must have been a flower child and must have enjoyed the 60s. Everything changed the day I met the running mate. It was on a day when the candidate and her campaign manager were out of the headquarters. I was sitting in the bullpen with most of the staffers and volunteers when I caught Joe out of the corner of my eye. He pointed me out to a pretty young woman who I felt I knew from somewhere, but I couldn't quite place her. A little while later, I was called into the running mate's office. Unlike the candidate, the running mate made no effort to greet me at the door. No handshake, no smile. He didn't even look up from his phone, or at least I think it was a phone. Hello, Dad. I think it's time we met. I walked toward the desk with my hand outstretched for a shake, but was ignored. He continued. And I want you to know that I know why you are really here. I go up with trying to maintain my composure. I also know with whom you are working. This really took me by surprise. After all, I wasn't working with anyone. No, not really. Sure, Curdy asked me for help researching symbols, and Lucy asked me to find the objects. And I guess the medallion was one such object, but wasn't really working with them, was I? And I have a message for them. Mina Macria Mo. What? Is that Greek? I stood there for what seemed like forever before he added, Stay away from the candidate, and especially her medallion. Got me? I've had many confrontations on the football field in my youth, and more recently in corporate life, but it only took me a second to respond. And the symbols? He stopped what he was doing and finally looked up, his eyes piercing blue. What about the symbols? They could change life as you know it. He considered me for a moment, then began to grin. In the corner of his grin, there was a single gold tooth peeking out. Well, Dad, it seems you could be a real asset. I'll make you a deal. Tell me what you know about the symbols, and if it is valuable, I'll hire you for my team. I can pay you much more than you're earning working on this campaign. Besides, I don't think you're here for the campaign. You're here for the medallion. Was I hearing him right? There's a team of people looking into these objects, run by the running mate, staffed with Joe, who tried to take the medallion, and someone named Nicky. Maybe the young woman Joe was pointing me out to. How could I find out more without showing my hand? You got me. I'm here for the medallion. I spent the next hour or so telling him about my analysis during Y2K and the revelation with the card reader. I left out my night with Lucy in the tune. He really didn't ask many questions, but listened intently. When I was done, he called the young woman in and introduced her as Nikki. After going through my story for a second time, he asked Nikki to let Joe know I was on the team and to cooperate fully with me. That night, I met with Joe and Nikki. Joe didn't seem to trust me at first, but soon warmed up to me. 
I found out Nikki was Joe's little sister, although she seemed to run things. I don't think Joe even realized she was directing him. She had a real knack for making Joe think it was his idea every time she wanted him to do something. With that said, Joe adored her, hanging on every word. I did my best to tell them everything I had shared that afternoon. No more, no less. I couldn't sleep that night. What was I doing? Yes, I was there to study the symbols on the medallion and really the medallion itself, but I felt connected to the candidate. By working with her running mate, Nikki, and Joe in this manner, I felt like I was betraying her. Should I go to her with what I know or wait till I have more? I found myself thinking about the nape of her neck as I clasped the necklace, the warmth of her touch as she hugged me, the look in her eyes as she thanked me for taking care of the medallion. The next day, Nikki told me I was going on another campaign stop and was to make every effort to get my hands on the medallion. Not a problem, I said. She said Joe would be there at some point and I should coordinate my moves with him. That night, after the candidate's appearance, I was at the hotel bar trying to figure out how I was going to borrow the medallion when Joe sat down next to me. Any luck? I explained there hadn't been any opportunities, but that I had been invited to ride with the candidate in the limo tomorrow on the way home and thought I could get my hands on the medallion, if only for a few minutes to document more of the symbols. I don't think you quite get the picture. We need the medallion for an extended period of time. She'll need to either get it to you, or you'll need to create a diversion so it can disappear. Sure, I answered. Not a problem. Giving a performance that would have won me an Academy Award in another reality. After a few drinks, Joe really started to loosen up. He told me a bizarre story about losing his sister when he was a kid and finding her with the help of a banana hanger. He must have had more to drink than I realized. As before, we shared a room and as before, he was out before my head ever hit the pillow. The next morning at breakfast, the candidate was in the hotel restaurant, so we used the opportunity to talk to her. But before I could say anything, Joe walked up to the candidate's table and told her he had heard about the beautiful medallion from me and could he get a look at it. She leaned forward, holding the medallion out in front of her, but didn't remove it from around her neck. Joe reached for the medallion when something caught my eye. The symbols on the medallion had a slight glow to them. Or was that the morning glare causing the effect? For an instant, I thought he was going to snatch the medallion from her, breaking the chain and running to the exit. Would I come to her aid, tackling him, or block those around her so Joe could get away? Luckily, I didn't have to find out. Joe showed appreciation for the object without touching it. He thanked the candidate, then grabbed my arm to lead me away from the table. I made my goodbyes and then followed him. Did you see that? What? I played stupid. They reacted. I've seen it before. A long time ago. In, a, in another life. When two of these objects get close together, strange things happen. I've never told anyone else, but I'm, I'm pretty convinced now that it really happened. What happened, I asked. Over the next couple of hours, Joe told me about his own introduction to these objects. I wasn't sure if I had stepped into an episode of the Twilight Zone, but thinking back on my own experiences, I began to believe he was sincere. Then he told me one particular detail he had never shared with anyone else, not even Nikki. It was about another object the sunglasses man had, a coin, about how it glowed and seemed to make a banana hanger glow. About his belief that the two objects together somehow changed reality for him, returning his family and making everything normal again. He explained about when he reached for the medallion, his ring began to heat up and the medallion began to glow, convincing him to get away from the medallion immediately. I'm convinced the medallion is one of those objects. What objects? I was playing dumb. Up until now, I was focused on the symbols. But Lucy asked me to find the objects. And so I have. I asked Joe about the ring. He told me a story that was stranger than my own experiences. He assured me that neither the running mate or even Nikki knew about it being an object. His plan was to use it as a tool to locate the other objects. Before I realized what I was doing, I was telling Joe about the punch card reader and Lucy's diamond collar. When we were done, Joe and I had established a bond. He was an ally in my search for the truth. One thing for sure, we couldn't allow for Joe's ring and a medallion to get that close again. Later that day, Nikki pulled Joe and me into a break room and asked about the medallion. 
Joe explained we briefly looked at it that morning, but left out the part about it glowing or the theory that the objects were interacting. He was working on a plan to obtain the medallion would give her an update during the dinner break. After she left, I looked at Joe questionably. Let's say I've had some misgivings about the running mate lately, and I'm afraid that if I told Nikki about the objects interacting, she, she'd go straight to him. And to be honest, he scares me. I'm not sure what he would do. I had misgivings about the running mate myself. He seemed power-hungry and manipulative. He also seemed to have some sort of control over Nikki. Later that evening, Joe came to me with a plan. You said you have pictures and details of the medallion's dimensions? Is that right? Yeah, why? I have a guy who I think can replicate it. That'll never work. You'll need better documentation than what I have. Besides, no matter how good the replica is, she'll know the difference. They have some sort of connection. Yeah, I thought as much. That's why we're making two fakes. One for her, and one for the running mate. You'll need to convince her to wear the fake, but keep the real one hidden. We'll tell the running mate he has the real medallion. The one that we swapped to fool the candidate. He's never held it and wouldn't know the difference. He'll run tests on it, but in the end, he'll figure out it wasn't one of those objects he was looking for. He's been wrong about others. You don't think the story about the swap will get back to him? I think he'll be gone as soon as he has the medallion. He has no interest in the candidate or what she stands for. He's only here for the medallion. I worked on the campaign manager, showed her forged threats I was able to plant in the social media feeds. When she brought it to the candidate's attention, I was called into her office. As before, a sense of peace came over me when I entered the room. The candidate immediately stopped what she was doing to greet me at the door with a sincere hug. She thanked me for letting her know about the threats and for the wonderful suggestion of swapping the medallion. She admitted she would be devastated if anything happened to it. I told her I thought I could have a fake for her in a week or so, but I'd have to have the original for a few minutes to properly document it. She was a little apprehensive at first, but when I explained that I could document everything there in the office in front of her, she relaxed and consented. Thirty minutes later, I walked out with even better documentation of the medallion. I got Joe the pictures and the other details. A week later, he had the fakes. I had my doubts, but Joe was right. As soon as the running mate had his medallion, he dropped out of the campaign for health reasons. Nikki disappeared with him, but Joe contacted me before leaving town. He told me the running mate didn't trust me and that I should watch out for him. He suggested I lay low for a while. I tried to talk to him about Nikki, but how do you tell someone whose sister was manipulating him? I finally gave up and made sure he knew he could contact me. Since then, I've been splitting my time between researching symbols and working for the candidate. I really think she has a chance. Now, just to be clear, we here at Space Croutons are strictly apolitical. We just report the news. We don't endorse any particular candidate. It's like my dad used to say, You can pick a candidate in the next election, or you can pick a horse in the next race. Either way, you'll probably end up with hoof and mouth disease. I've got it. Got what? The deus ex machina. The medallion was thought to be lost when the ship went down after hitting the iceberg. But she kept it and when they went back out to the site, she tossed it into the depths. Then Celine Dion wore a precious gemstone replica of it when she sang at the Oscars. Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> you solved it. I have to admit, this is turning out to be too easy. I am a bit disappointed to be honest. Well then I suggest you go back to being Sally and let our listeners solve the mysteries. That is a more efficient solution. You may call me Sally again. Good, Sally. And let's say goodbye to our audience. As always, thanks for listening and keep peace in your heart until our next story time. We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, 
But who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons? Space Croutons is a work of original fiction. Similarities to persons, situations, or events, real or fictional, is coincidental and unintentional. Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson. Episode 13 story by Jerry. Recording and production by John, Jerry, Della, and Jeff. Original music by Jeff. Featuring the voice talents of John, Jeff, Jace, Della, and Sally. Entire work copyright 2020 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Goodwitch Audio Production.